Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. This week on TheRinger.com, our staff is ranking the 100 best moments in culture so far in 2019. This includes everything that happened in film, TV, celebrity news, memedom, and more. Cracking the top 100 so far are JLo and A-Rod's engagement, the rise of Lizzo, and the Cliff Wife phenomenon. Also, be sure to listen and subscribe to Ringer Dish, our new celebrity podcast, and catch the latest episode covering their favorite moments from this year in pop culture. You can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yo, 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 Ringer FC, Emergency Pod France USA edition. We just watched the U.S. women defeat the host France at the Parc des Princes 2-1 in the World Women's World Cup quarterfinal. They are advancing to the semifinal where they will play England on July 2nd. Let's talk about the match. I'm joined by my esteemed Ringer colleagues from L.A., Shakir Saman. Out here feeling real sad in these Parisian streets. And with me in studio, Julie Kliegman. How's it going, Donnie? It's going well. Wow. The U.S., what can you say? Shocker, first of all, you're a noted Francophile. You previewed the match on the website, ringer.com. Great website. Great website. All tournament, you've been championing France as a legit contender. Uh, of course, this France-U.S. quarterfinal, a lot of people thought should have been the final. How disappointed are you? Uh, I've been softly and somberly humming La Marseillaise to myself uh, since the Rapino goal to start the game. It's a catchy anthem. I was whistling it Just all match, the too. the best anthem, guys. Uh, no, I mean, I I think we were all right to say that this was a de facto final. It was literally the headline of my piece today. Um, no, I, I this game, I don't know if it was the one we intended to watch or the one that we were promised. The early kind of fluky but... Beautiful Rapino goal off the set piece totally changed uh, what what we were watching. Uh, the France is a team that likes to play in open space, and the U.S. is talented enough uh, in its midfield and with its attackers that once they score that opening goal, they were able to pack it in. Yeah, somewhat Champions League final like in that an early goal kind of the U.S. didn't really need to attack after that. A lot but, of Champions but, League final kind of analogs with the handball later on. Yeah. Let's rewind, though, pregame stuff first. Let me kick it to you, Julie, because before the game, when the team lineups were announced, Jill Ellis, the USWNT manager, was under fire for utilizing the same lineup that she did against Spain, leaving out Lindsey Horan in midfield. A lot of people thought that that was a bad decision against Spain and were surprised when Horan wasn't in the starting lineup for today. How did you feel when you saw the starting 11 for the U.S.? Oh, I was fucking pissed. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Don't mince words. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, she's one of the two best midfielders in the world, likely. So it, it seemed like a pretty like big head scratcher, especially when you factor in that she wasn't playing. She wouldn't have been playing on a yellow card like she was in the last game when Ellis chose to sat her, and that was the reasoning we all thought. Yeah, she was that's sitting that's the thing. After that match, we were all curious why Haran didn't start, and we suspected it was because she was on a yellow card or could could have possibly been suspended for yellow card accumulation. But then she came in at the end of the match, which didn't really make any sense. Right. So the U.S. started without her, uh, a midfield of Mewis, Ertz, and Lavelle. Um, and Chakra, as you mentioned, 
I think this is every match in the World Cup so far, the U.S. has scored in the first 12 minutes. I think it was in the sixth minute or fifth minute in this match. Shaka, what did you make of like the early stages of the game? Because the tempo to start, it was very back and forth and very attacking. Yeah. So in the first couple minutes, you know, both teams are going back and forth. The France only had one pass completed in the attacking third. The U.S. had, I think, six or seven. U.S. is on full attack. They score this kind of fluky goal off Rapino's set piece where the ball somehow dives between three different pairs of legs, uh, just brushes past Buhadi to go into the goal. And you say— Can we fault, can we fault Buhadi a little for that? Ah, I think you can certainly try. I, I think—I mean, she was screened, and so it wasn't entirely on her. But no, you, you're a keeper in the World Cup. You're the keeper for Lyon. You should be able to stop something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it was like a maze of legs yeah. in yeah. front of her, so— no, but so so from then on, though, it was a lot of France um, because the U.S. started packing it in. Uh, by halftime, the U.S. had, you know, I said I think they had six or seven passes before the goal in the attacking third. Uh, at halftime, they only finished with 15 completed out of 33 tries. For France, they had 43 of 66 successful. But at halftime, neither team had completed a pass with inside the penalty box. The U.S. just wasn't trying, and France, for all of their efforts, just could not get the ball past the U.S.'s packed-in D. And that was pretty much the case for the entire game. Uh, If you look at the final numbers, France just dominated in the attacking third. There were so many attempts and so many chances, but that last pass to set up the goal wasn't there, or their shots were blocked. They couldn't get a clear look at goal outside of the Renard goal at the end. Yeah, so let's double-click on Rapino's performance, actually. I mean— she scored both of the goals, obviously, but just she was all over the pitch. She was, you know, uh, facilitating play. I mean, it seemed like she would pop up in the in the defensive end and steal the ball and um, and always make the telling pass. I mean, Julie, maybe you can talk a little bit about her performance today. Yeah, I mean, she was super energetic, like you said, just everywhere. And um, her brace today, it was her second brace in a row. And that, I actually just heard that's a record for Women's World Cup that's never happened before. So that's really cool. So two straight games with two goals. Yes. Suck it, Trump. <laughs> I, actually, I actually thought, you know, her celebrations for both goals, but particularly the first goal, although it wasn't like a, you know, a literal fuck you, Trump, it just felt kind of... I don't know, impactful in a way that she just, it was like Balotelli-like. It's funny, I was just looking on Twitter today that uh, seven years ago today was when Balotelli had uh, those goals against Spain in the in the Euros and his celebration and Rapino's celebration. She didn't take her shirt off, but just kind of <laughs> standing there and like, how fucking great am I, that pose? It was very smug in a good way. <laughs> yeah, very smug and very gangster. And Rapino is a G. Oh, she had every right to be smug. The U.S. had eight total chances created in the game. Rapino had four of those. Yeah. I mean, she was amazing. I mean, she was she, dominant. 25 of 35 completed passes. She just owned the side of the field she was on. And yeah, there were times where you thought, oh, you know, maybe she's trying to do too much or maybe this or maybe that. By the point stands. I mean, she was everything for the team today the way she's been for the entire tournament. Yeah. And Shaka, one matchup that you kind of highlighted that was sort of noticeable the entire match was, speaking of sides, on the right side, uh, the French winger Diani going up against America's left-back Crystal Dunn, who's been, I was going to say much maligned, but kind of criticized. She's obviously not in her natural position. Uh, How did you think she fared against Diani, who is probably France's best attacker? Yeah, I think so. Dunn, the the thing about Crystal Dunn is Crystal Dunn, I think it's weird to see her in a fullback role for clubs. She plays a little higher up. Uh, She's scoring goals. She's doing everything for her team. Um, She, I think, 
all game relied the same way she has all tournament on her athleticism to kind of bail her out of certain situations. And for the most part, it worked for the first part of the game. You know, Diani, who is unbelievably talented and gave her fits up the wing and, you know, watched Dunn struggle trying to chase her, Dunn still took her out most of the time. You know, uh, Diani had five take-ons in the game and only two of them were successful. All of them snuffed out on that side. Uh, later on, when Cascarino came in for Guavin, um, you know, Dunn was there and she had some issues, you know, a fr- fresh pair of legs, you know, taking her on still, still had some issues, but she finished the game five on five, five of five, perfect for clearances, seven of 11 tackles, one blocked shot. I mean, for as much kind of of a spotlight as we put on Crystal Dunn coming into today on, could she be the weak link? You know, soccer's a weak link sport. Could she be the one that that bends and breaks to this really impressive French attacking force? She held her own. And that, especially in a game where France was going all out and the U.S. was content to sit back and let France take their chances, that was huge. I should quickly interject here. Shout out to the departed XG god, Ryan O'Hanlon. But Shocker, you actually just showed me this, that by XG, France was, it was 1.3 for France and 1.0 for the U.S., which is interesting. A lot of that... It's just because of the shots on target that France had? Uh, yeah, so a, a lot of it is, I mean, the U.S., if we're talking shots on targets, the U.S. took 10 shots and eight of them were on target. France took 20 and only five were on target. And if you look at that map, the largest chunk of XG converted for the U.S. is that second Rapino goal, which is right in front of net. That was a high yeah. goal-scoring opportunity, whereas yeah. the the other Rapino goal is, you know, way out on the wing. France was taking yeah. shots from everywhere because they couldn't get clean looks. Yeah, And so it, it really was a matter of, quality over quantity, mm-hmm. if only because France couldn't get quality. Let's go into that second Rapino goal. So we, we go into half, and it's 1-0 to the U.S., as you guys were talking about. It started kind of quickly, with a quick tempo. Uh, U.S. kind of deaded the tempo by the end of the half, and we're firmly in control. Second half starts. It's a flurry of attacks again from the U.S. They were dominating play. I think France kind of got a, got a hold of the game a little bit after that. And then the second goal, the second Rapino goal, which is a beautiful highlight reel goal, created, we should say, by, I was going to say much maligned again. It's only She's only much maligned in the ringer slack, I think, by right. Bill Simmons. But Alex Morgan, <laughs> who has been, you know, outside of the five goals against Thailand in the opening match, has been sort of hit or miss, mostly miss. Also injured. Also injured. I think she picked up an injury. She was subbed at half against Sweden and went down in the middle of the first half of that match, looking like maybe a hamstring thing or something with her legs. Uh, She wasn't very good against Spain. And a lot of people were suspecting that she's been playing hurt. Right. She said before this game that she's 100%. I didn't really know whether to buy that or not. (laughs) But it it seemed in this game that she was fine. Yeah. I mean, if if there are two names that are going to be written in pen in the starting 11, it seems it's Alex Morgan and Mega Rapino. And so how would you say Alex played today? I mean, the pass, you know, that's undeniably a great pass. But overall, she seemed like she was more the Alex Morgan that we've grown accustomed to. She was certainly running quicker, for sure. Yeah. Like less fatigued looking, maybe? Yes, definitely. Yeah. And she played the full 90. So, uh, I mean, Jill Ellis really trusts trust her. I, I need mean, to confess because I I was on the same train as Bill, maybe not as full force, but you weren't you weren't calling her Dwight Howard? I was not <laughs> calling her Dwight Howard, no. Uh no, but Who it, is her NBA <laughs> comp anyway? God, I don't even know. I she was playing hurt uh, in the last two games and I think for part of today she didn't look, you know, as fit as I'd seen her in the past. I I have to say though, I mean, I I was someone who very publicly said like McDonald should be playing in her spot or Press should be playing in her spot. 
because they can still offer the kinds of things that more or Mallory Pugh. Or Mallory Pugh, why not? Uh, or, you know, shift Tobin to the middle and just get crazy. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I, but I was impressed with what Morgan did today despite, you know, carrying a knock. This is kind of a truism that applies to all sports, that when a coach or a manager wins the title with a certain set of players, he or she is very loath to remove them from the lineup because of the trust that's built from winning a title. Uh, but speaking of Ellis, what did you make of her tactics or substitutions today? I mean, I saw actually in the second half, they had a close-up close on the touchline, and you could literally see her saying 5-4-1, you know, <laughs> at, at formation-wise, which is Cowardly. obviously a very— Cowards. Which is a very defensive formation. Um, Haran did finally come on, I think, right. in the 63rd minute for Rose Lavelle, who probably didn't have her best game. And then toward the end, Carly Lloyd in the 82nd, Kristen Press in the 87th, whose fresh legs were really evident. I mean, is there a chance that maybe everyone that was criticizing Ellis was actually wrong and she got it right? I don't know. I think she's still subbing too late, no? Yeah, I mean, I guess the Haran one came at the right time. The other two maybe were, you could argue were could have come in earlier. But, I mean, our, uh, our like you, the, you mentioned it before, our departed colleague, XG God Ryan O'Hanlon, wrote a piece, you know, a couple months ago just talking about subbing in soccer. And while the da- this data specifically comes from the men's side, the highest goals per 90 in soccer come from players who have just been subbed on. So, you know, fresh legs. The second highest come from players who have just been subbed off. So shorter amount of time on the game, you're not forcing them to play a full game. And the last, the lowest amount of goals per 90 comes from players who play the full game. And yeah, right. So it's, I'm always in favor of coaches using their subs, managers using their subs. The other thing I kind of want to touch on though is this, you know, you said managers kind of tend to side with players or hold on to players that help them win a championship before. But we've seen in the last, you know, two men's World Cups that that strategy is, is risky. It's a coin flip. Yeah. If, if it works, then you're Germany and Spain in 2010 and 14. And the players that have been good for you in the past are the ones who win you a trophy. If it doesn't work, then you're Spain and Germany in 2014 and 2018, where you lose in the opening rounds. That's an excellent point, actually, because what makes the transcendent managers transcendent is their ability to kind of seamlessly blood in new talent without kind of upsetting the system. Um, so that's a point well taken. Um, two other talking points here in the second half. Uh, Tobin Heath goal called off offside, very marginal offside. It seemed it didn't go to VAR. Well, I guess you never know when, really when it's going to VAR because you don't know what they're saying in the ref's ear. But she didn't run to the screen. Yeah, we didn't get a VAR break. At least we didn't get a VAR break. I don't think it was offside at all. I wouldn't even say marginal offside. It seemed to me like it was on. It was difficult. They didn't really. Sh- I mean, it's always difficult with offside and the camera angle because you don't know exactly what angle you're looking at, but. To me, I mean, I'm kind of very lenient on offsides, and it's like it it should favor attacking play, and it was so marginal that I don't know. I mean, was it more or less marginal than the Cameroon Cameroon goal that was called off against England? I don't know. But what did you think, uh, Shocker? Because that was also a very beautiful goal that I wish could be included in highlight reels. Yeah, I mean, I I tweeted out when it happened, and this was pre-Renard goal, that that was, I mean, the— prettiest moment of the entire game and just naturally based on what we'd watched for however many minutes up to that point naturally it was ruled ineligible uh i thought she was onside i i I did in the same way that i thought that the handball later on was a handball uh neither of them got called which is a bummer but yeah so that goal or not goal obviously would have made it three nil it would have put the game to bed it was not called a goal 
and they didn't go to VAR, surprisingly, or they didn't go. The ref didn't go to the screen, and so the game continued. And then Wendy Renard, Wendy! And her six, <laughs> all six foot two of her, you knew that you know she would have an impact somehow, and she did on a set piece corner kick, I believe, uh, pretty much unmarked, and and headed the ball in uh, in the eighty first minute, and so that cut the deficit in half, two to one, at that point. How nervous were you at that point, Julie? I was not all that nervous because I feel like we had seen enough throughout the game that France had chances that they weren't seeming to capitalize on. Right. I feel like Shocker talks about weak links. I think our weak link is our goalkeeper, Alyssa Nair, and she wasn't really as tested as much as she could have been today. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Nair, there have been questions about her uh, coming into this game, or I guess throughout the tournament. She was solid today. I mean, that the one goal that she conceded, no no goal, no no goalkeeper is stopping that. So. Right. And she had a great save as well. Yeah. One more weak link I want to highlight. Uh Torrent on France, the fullback, just got obliterated all night. Every single US attack started because she wasn't able to keep her mark. And that was really upsetting as someone who very publicly was like, you know what? I'm riding for the French. Let's go. Toronto, to me, having watched most of the French games this tournament, has had a good tournament. And mm-hmm. is a good player. Certainly. I think the the left sided attack of the U.S. is just deadly, and will torment any fullback. Yeah, it, it's uh, the best players on the team that you have to mark there, but not to make excuses for or anything. Mm-hmm. So the handball incident. Now, uh, I don't remember. Was it O'Hara? I don't remember whose arm or whose hand it was. Uh, but I don't even remember the French player either. Sorry, we mm-hmm. just watched the game. But the ball, it's in the box. The ball goes off of her arm, or I think it was right. It was her, her elbow, left. Elbow? It was her left arm that she was attempting to deflect across. She didn't tuck it all the way in. It just bounced right off either like the forearm or the elbow. It yeah. should have been a penalty. Yeah, and again, we've seen so many handballs this World Cup called that way or called handballs without you know any deliberate hand movement, not even an unnatural arm position, but just going off the arm and that being a penalty. So were you guys surprised, Julie? Were you surprised that that didn't go to the screen? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was kind of a shocker. Were you kind of hoping France would equalize there? Because that that was at 2-1, wasn't it? Yeah, that was at 2-1. That's in the 85th minute. I'm watching the replay right now trying to see who it was. I mean, that's the game, essentially. And you could say the same thing about the offsides call, the phantom whatever that canceled the U.S. goal on the other end. But in that situation, especially since we've seen this handball called, specifically this handball called consistently all summer, and it's the same handball we saw called on Tottenham, and it's just like, that this wasn't called was kind of wild to me. So w- watching this, it's O'Hara who gets the handball off her forearm. It's Majri from France who takes the cross. And, you know, there are players in the middle of the French attack who, you know, if this ball isn't deflected, maybe it goes in. But regardless, in, in that situation, she she starts the cross inside the box. It has to be called. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this about Katernia Munzol from the Ukraine who was the referee. We just talked about two instances where she didn't go to the VAR screen and we thought that she might, given what's happened in the tournament so far. As a referee, we saw very early on how persnickety she was about uh, free kicks and like, you know, like making sure the line was straight and like people were in the right position. So she's like a very decisive referee. And I think she decided in the moment that this is right and I'm not going to question myself. So there were also a couple instances, way more than that were called in the game on both sides where I was like, ah, maybe that was a yellow. That was a pretty aggressive tackle by both France and the U.S. And the only two cards that were handed out in the entire game were uh, to a French defender before the U.S. goal that set up the free kick that um, 
uh, Rapino scored on, and then one at the end. That was of the, the game. Al- she fouled Alex Morgan, right? In yeah, the Mbak fourth, fourth minute. Yeah. yeah, in the fourth minute, and then Rapino's goal came right after, and then uh, Busaglia for shoving I forget which American player to the turf when they were annoyed about not being able to get the ball back and press on the counter. I will say there were a couple, at least two or three stud to an- ankle tackles on Rapino. I think all in the first half. Even yeah. the keeper got one. So Jordan rules, man. You got to play the Jordan rules. Bill Lumbee yeah, I mean, out here. I think it was like a this girl's killing us. We got to kick her a little bit. Didn't work. Didn't work. Did not work. So Julie, we're, let's do women of the match. Yeah, uh, Julie, are you going with Rapino? I'm going with Rapino. Yes. Shocker. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to be you know it, Megan Rapino scored both goals. She's definitely the woman of the match. I'm gonna go with Crystal Dunn only because she <laughs> was who I. Uh, watching the Americans is most afraid of her performance in terms of like if she breaks the defense is done she she held her own against Diani for most of the game against Carasquino later on uh, Crystal Dunn's my my uh, MVP for today I mean I'd like to troll and say somebody else but it really has to be Megan Rapino. Yeah. I mean you could start we could start making the argument obviously this World Cup isn't over yet that Rapino could go down as the best American soccer player yeah, and she's Ever. in the running for the Golden Boot as well in this tournament. Yeah, how many does she have now? So five? Five. five. Same as Morgan's five from one game. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it's, I, it's definitely notable, too, that, I mean, so someone put this on Twitter. I can't remember who. I mean, her first World Cup, she's a sub with high expectations. Her second World Cup, she's hurt and not full health when we win it four years ago. No, I mean, for her to have this moment at her age, she's, I think, 33. It's her third World Cup. For her, her to have this kind of dominance on this stage— you never knew if this moment was going to come. And so it's really cool to watch her just be so, so in control of a game. Yeah, yeah. She was just dominant, a dominant force. So before we quickly preview uh, the semifinal with England, uh, Julie, you wrote an awesome piece for the site about the USWNT continuing legal struggles about uh, pay equality. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how this match is important beyond just them advancing in the tournament. Yeah, thanks. Um, so... I would say, by the way, we should say that since I wrote that article, the news came out that the U.S. women's national team is going to go to mediation with U.S. soccer, which means it won't necessarily keep going through like the legal channels. Um, With a mediator sits down with both sides, there's no obligation, uh, as there would be with an arbitrator, to agree on an outcome. So it could still find itself in the legal system. And, you know, I think if it does, this match is really important for the U.S. women's national team because... You know, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to go out of no matter what your team you're playing, forget that it's France for a second. It's a huge disappointment when you're the U.S. to leave in the quarterfinal. And so the fact that they won, it just kind of bolsters their argument of success that they need in the public eye, at least, to uh, do well with this legal battle because you shouldn't really need an equal you shouldn't really need the case that they're building to have equal pay. I mean, they deserve equal pay, point blank. But it, it just bolsters their resume that much more that they didn't have an early exit from this tournament. Uh, there was a tweet from Caitlin Murray earlier today. Of course, she was a guest on The Last Ringer FC and wrote the book, The National Team, that the, the USWNT players have made around $90,000 so far in World Cup bonuses for this cycle. But if they got the same bonuses the US MNT are entitled to, they each would have gotten closer to $550,000. As we were kind of bantering about this, like how much of this is on FIFA and how much of this is on the USSF? Is a little bit of uh, blame go both ways or how would you dissect that, Jude? 
I think it's both. I think FIFA's allotted prize money is certainly a big factor, but it's also about the U.S. and the CBA agreement. And, you know, I I think also we got to remember that this legal battle isn't only about the money. It's also about playing conditions, travel conditions, facilities, everything like that. So it really goes beyond just the the pure cash. Yeah. Bigger than just a game, shocker. Um, So moving on to the next game, though, July 2nd, U.S.-England. Shaka, I don't know how much how much of England have you watched and, and how confident are you that U.S. will walk over them to the final? So I watched their decimation of Norway. Um, yeah, which is the best they've played so far. Oh, absolutely. Maybe, maybe ever. It's the best they've looked. Uh, you know, Bauman still doesn't trust Lucy Bronze, but I thought she looked pretty good. Uh, no, I think— Wait, can I say that Lucy Bronze, that Phil Neville, the manager of the Lionesses, said, uh, and I'm quoting him word for word, best player in the world, Lucy Bronze. She plays Eng- for the best English team right in the back. world. I don't know if I'd call her the best player in the world, but she's pretty good for the best team in the world, Leon. Um, they should no, put that on the bulletin board and for the women's to the U.S. women. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's always, you know, the fear of maybe like a letdown game after you played the big one. I'm sure France was the one they had circled for quite a while. Uh, I Listen, I, this was, France was the toughest test the U.S. will face for the rest of the tournament. If, if I mean, if you beat France and then lose to England, I think that's a much bigger disappointment than losing to France. Uh, I'd be really surprised if they lost in a way that I wasn't with France giving them a fight. Uh, in the same way that I would be really surprised if after the U.S. beats England, knock on wood, that they don't run through any one of whoever makes the final between Italy, Netherlands, Germany, and Sweden. Our XG guy, Ryan O'Hanlon, did text me and said, quote, the U.S. losing to England is my nightmare. Imagine the press if that happens, end quote. <laughs> Julie, how confident are you in the U.S. Uh, and England? I mean, as Shaka was saying, everybody kind of feared France— People weren't really talking about England, I guess, as a potential semifinal opponent. I mean, I guess it's not a big surprise that they're there. Right. But do you feel like um, the U.S. should be confident? I mean, the U.S. should be confident against anybody, right? Yeah, I'm kind of with Shocker. I mean, you saw me earlier today. I was pretty pretty anxious going into Everybody this Everybody seemed anxious today. Yeah, it was it was a really tense mood in the ringer office yeah. today in New York. Um, but, I guess it's the host country thing, too, that right. you're playing. So. Right. I was perfectly peachy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Shocker. Well, how are you now? I'm less happy now, <laughs> certainly. So we've been talking about the Diani Dunn matchup from today against England. Crystal Dunn will be going up against Nikita Paris, England's number seven on the wing on the right side, who's also shown a lot of pace and ability. Um, so, Shocker, Crystal has her work cut out for her again. I mean, uh, stop me if you've heard this before. A player from Lyon, Nikita Paris, is very good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, in. in this, I mean, Dunn played well against Diani today, um, or at least did her best against Diani and ended up doing well for the course of the match. Paris is another test. Um, you know, like I said earlier, weak link sport, but I'd be really surprised if after holding off that French attack for 90 minutes or 85 minutes or however long, that if they, if they fold it against England, it's not coming home. <laughs> it's not coming home <laughs> once again. But hey, England made two semifinals, men's and women's, so can't knock yeah. that. All right, final word for you guys. Who do you think Jill Ellis will start against England? Do you think she'll go with the same lineup, same exact lineup, third match in a row, Julie? Same old, yeah. Will people still be furious, Shocker, if no Haran in the starting 11? I'm still going to get my tweets off. Don't you worry about that one bit. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me. We have England, U.S. coming on July 2nd. Uh, hopefully the U.S. win, then the final will be on July 7th. We'll probably have a new Ringer FC after the final to wrap up the tournament. Till then, peace. Peace.